Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we've got another great episode for us today. Today's guest has been described as an energetic technical management and customer experience professional. He is currently the Director of Field Services for Idemia. Please welcome to the show, Carl Hefley. Hello, Carl. Hello. Thanks for having me. Really excited to get the conversation started today. You have some really interesting experience in field service, and I'm really looking forward to getting into some of the questions that we talked about in our prep call. But for today, I want to get started the same way that we always do on the show and ask you what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless frontline workforce today. You know, I think it comes down to everything I've seen in all the different industries I've worked in, in like the last 20 years. And you know, I've been in healthcare, I've been in IT, I've been in medical uh devices i've been in program management uh just you know all over the place over the years and it, it really comes down to the fact that uh i think the the vision of how it's constructed and how these people are going to use it and then the reporting out at the end has been a lot of what i've seen is uh it, it shapes how the people are going to use it right so for the frontline people that are using it, what's the simplest way to collect the data? What's the simplest way to provide the service? How am I going to just get the service done and then close the ticket? And then at the end of the day, how are the managers going to collect the data to report out what they need to improve the services you're providing? How are you going to get the staff you need, collect that data to improve your business? You know, so, and it really, you look at it and many companies you walk into, it's a big mess of data and nobody has it figured out you in the first opening answer went right to the heart of what i think is one of the biggest issues that we see with technology adoption and on the front lines which is the reason for the tech implementation is typically to to improve the sometimes the volume but the accuracy the amount of data that we have for leadership to evaluate the performance of the business. But the way to get that data is to have our frontline workers do some data collection, data input in the field. And so the, the motivations are different, right? The, the, this is typically not being implemented to necessarily make the frontline workers job easier. There may be other downstream implications to gathering that data to make better you know, decisions in the organization. But unfortunately, our frontline workers often kind of become victims of that process. So I, I love the way that you describe that. It's, it's, there's kind of two objectives going on at the same time here, and it's a really difficult thing to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought about this a lot since we first talked and, you know, it kind of shaped a, a lot of, I, I think, the, the answer that I'm coming up with here, but really what my experiences were when I used this is how could I open a ticket, get the parts I needed, order things seamlessly because I didn't want to be wrapped up in the administrative work. That's right. a waste of my time as a frontline worker, as a tech, I need to be working on the stuff that I need to fix. I need to be in front of the customer. 
And if I'm doing high-level work, like when I was a PAX engineer, which is uh, specialized radiology work in hospitals, I'm uh, I'm doing like holistic service work. So I, I'm doing program management. I'm upgrading stuff. I'm looking at all the aspects of the system to make it work better. But if I'm a simple break fix guy too, like how do I get in and, and just fix it and get out and move on to the next thing? Add my items, close the ticket, you know, not have to get home at night and not get paid overtime to sit here and do admin. And then at the end, how is the company going to look at this and say, what are we doing wrong? What are the failure codes? Are we going to have any breaches here? Are we going to, you know, have any issues that we're going to have to fix that the customer is going to see? And like, what are the, what's the end game of what we need to do here to become a smarter business? And when I was an engineer, I didn't care about that. I just wanted to be able to do my job. But now that I'm a you know manager director and I'm looking at the strategic side and I want to save money, why am I guys taking 10 hours to fix a call that should have taken an hour? So you're looking at the repeat failure codes. You're looking at all the other stuff. But if my system is so poorly designed and I have 500 million different categories in my taxonomy, you know, you're never going to get the data you need. And you can't just simply go back, redesign it, get it all in place because you have 10, 10 bazillion uh, terabytes of data sitting there, you know, all mapped all over the place. So, okay. We, there are a lot of things I want to dig into this, but I want to give our audience a, a chance to understand who they're hearing from and a little bit about your background. So uh, give us a, a little bit of an insight. You've already shared that you were also a field engineer at one time as well. Help us understand how you uh, kind of came up through the, your career. Yeah, I was uh, kind of like wayward in my path of what I wanted to do. You know, wanted to be like an engineer. Kind of failed at that younger. Uh, just a hands-on person, still am. Love to build stuff. So I uh, ended up joining the Army. Uh, did medical equipment repair through the Army. Uh, reserves, did that for eight years. Uh, then I ended up working in that capacity for a long time uh, on the civilian side. But I ended up getting more into the IT stuff with uh, PACS, which is Picture Archive Communication Systems, and really got good on networking computers, you know, took this page 54 and choose your own adventure. And all of a sudden, I'm like, never thought I'd be doing this with computers. But I ended up being a manager. I got a great opportunity. I'd finished my MBA. And uh, at that point, you know, two years as a manager, I, uh, I got some great experience. Uh, I got to fix a huge contract issue that was like a hundred million dollar contract process for my old company, but I was really looking at career progression. So I jumped into startups, medical equipment, you know, I was doing molecular breast imaging, got to take this machine apart, got it out for FDA approval. Uh, then I went over to cybersecurity, did hands-on tech support for that like three different companies, went into program management, and then from there back into management for a, a medical device company. Uh, I was trying to start my own company as a handyman, you know, and then just found myself back in white collar. You know, that was where yeah. I, I needed to be because I was, I think, being successful as a manager. And it's just that it was the next path in my career progression. And I have a family, so I wanted to be at home for my kids, not working 20 hour days. So now I'm a director for IDEMIA and we do security identity for uh, the TSA, for federal programs, for the police. We do driver's licenses in 38 states. So 
you know, we have a really diverse product line. We're, a, as they say, we're a, the biggest identity and security company in the, the world that has no identity. You don't really know about us, but nobody knows. You walk yeah. through the airports and scan your passports and your IDs. That's us. You know, your credit cards that you got in your wallet. That's that's us. We make those. We make those little PIV cards that people stick in their computers. Driver's licenses. That's made by us. So, you know, a lot of that. It's a fascinating business. It's another yeah. of the many examples of the all of the uh, behind the scenes of what keeps the global economy going. And uh, I love when we come across companies that nobody's ever heard of, but we're they're right in front of us. They're hidden in plain sight every day. And you guys are certainly an example of that. So I, I want to go back. <clears throat> I, I love that you've had an experience of being both a field engineer and now a leader of other field engineers. Because just in your opening answer to the challenges around deskless workers, you have such a, a deep connection to both sides of this equation. And I think it's really important that we all get a chance to understand that a little bit better. Because I think one of the problems that I have observed with corporate teams that are implementing technology for frontline workers is when they struggle the most, it's because they tend to not understand the role. They lack a little bit of empathy for the role that they're implementing technology to. They've never been in those shoes. So you have this unique perspective here where you've actually been in their shoes. And I love you describing a little bit of the perspective of the field engineer, which is, hey, I just, I want to just get home and be able to move on. I don't want to have to stay late. I don't want to have to put in extra time to deal with all my administrative stuff. I've got X number of, of tickets I'm supposed to close a day. I just want to get that stuff done and move on. And now as a leader in an organization where you have guys doing that role reporting to you, you you're seeing the other side of that. How mm -hmm. has your experience as a field engineer, how does that impact the counsel and the coaching that you give to the people on your team to kind of get their heads wrapped around why you're asking them to do what it is you're asking them to do in the technology and, and in their job overall? Well, it's, you know, hundred percent everything I'm doing at this point. You know, and I'm still, I always had bosses that were, you know, much older than me too. You know, we always joked around kind of like the old boys club. Yeah. It's uh, people that I think were more towards a retirement age and probably had been field service engineers in the time of like radio tubes, just so far displaced from what it had been and, and just more wrapped up in P&L, you know, so it, they didn't even know what PAX was. They didn't know what we were doing out in the field and they didn't care either you know they wouldn't go and do a ride along with you and sit there and see what it took you know like that i was sitting there in a hospital for four days on like three hours of sleep to do an upgrade you know they had an idea when the overtime hit but you know when i work with these people I'm trying to use all of the experiences and all the headaches of everything I had and all the frustrations, you know, and, and it's just all the life experiences. I, I say, even to like my kids, it's like, you know, if I'm losing my mind over something like that, you know, we got to figure out a better way to do this. I, I don't want to sit here and, and be punching the wall over something because if it works, I'm going to step away from it. And then we're going to figure out a way that we can get what we need to get done. Maybe the clicks aren't going to get us through it, but we're going to find the person that can do it. And then we'll figure out the reasons why right now the system's not allowing us to do it. And that's the same with the software 
that our end users are using too, right? You know, we might have to open an engineering, you know, a JIRA or something and then have developers fix the problem. It's the same right. thing on the software we're using for our ticket management and our reporting. So. Have, have you seen situations where, and, and I guess this, this question might apply to both circumstances when you were an engineer and also now in a leadership role where the use of technology legitimately added time to your work. So just to make up a hypothetical, maybe you had, you know, an expectation of being able to close five tickets a day or eight tickets a day. And now the use of technology, there was actually, a, it was a little bit more time consuming to actually complete the ticket because of the data that you had to collect or the amount of detail that you were expected to put into the system. Do you recall any experiences in either of your roles as a as a doer or a leader in the organization there where that was the case, where the technology legitimately added a little bit of time to the process? Yeah, every job, uh, even okay. now. I mean, we still use Excel, so yeah, but it's just uh, the process. It's always the process. And it's getting from what you want in the beginning to getting to that end goal that we talked about. And like now for me and my job, it's the reporting. It's how we can get to what we want to report up the chain and then to show where we're at at any point in time to show our customer health, to show our internal stakeholder health. And then our, what's the problem here? Like, why are we making this mistake over and over again? And how are we going to get better? But there may be like 30 steps in the, in the way. And it's like, I just took this from this data, copied it into here, copied it into an Excel, sent it to this person, emailed it here, snail mailed it here. I mean, it's like, you know, you got a cup on your ear with a string on it. And you're like, why did we just do 40 steps? Let's get the team together. Let's talk about the process and, and map it out. Because I think I know what you want over here. But for some reason, we turn this into what it is now and we don't need that but the problem is when you get people in the room people are so confused with all the needs and the wants that you never sit down again and get somebody that can actually corral all the cats and say well you just need some data to report on and this is where we're getting it from wipe this all out here you go you know it, it sounds like your role has kind of evolved into a bit of a liaison between kind of both sides of this equation, which I, I love hearing you describe it that way, because I can imagine you having a conversation with the, the field engineers themselves to explain, like, here's why we're asking for this. H have you had those? I, I imagine this is probably a daily occurrence for you explaining why we need the data and how it's going to be used. Is, is that, am I onto something there? Yeah, I think most of them know why we need it. But I think a lot of what I see, too, is, uh, you know, I was thinking of this a couple of minutes ago. You don't like we don't need the ticket right now. You know, like you could go and fix it and you're not going to mess up any data, you know, like the real time reporting of this real time would be great. But at the end of the day, if you open a ticket and backdate the time of it, you know, like we can still get the data we need. We can input the, the measurements. But like in the in the company I work in now, the ticket comes in. And if you're really looking at like this real-time reporting, you're looking at the, as we talked about, the the service level agreements, the SLA requirements of like, you got to fix my stuff in two hours or you're going to breach what we agreed on in our contract. If the customer calls it in and it hits your help desk and then goes out to the field, yeah, you got a window and you get measured on that. 
But if my service engineers go out and say they're on site, fix the issue and another issue there, don't open a ticket right away, fix the issue, come in, backdate the ticket, you know, we can get the reporting we need. So it's just using some common sense, some logic in your workflows too. It's not like you're manipulating the data. You're just doing some different workflows to get the data you need to appropriately put it in to get the reporting you need out, you know, to show what you did. But a lot of times when these people put it in, they're rushing to get things done too. Or, you know, you see the flaws in the process, especially with the SLAs. And now all of a sudden you've got a breach and it's like, oh, you know, and, and now you're sitting in front of the customer and you have to say, well, this was a, a valid breach and you got to sit there at the end of the month and say, yeah, we owe you some money back in the contract or we don't. So it's, it's a constant back and forth and all that stuff, you know, and, and my team now, especially we're such a heavy SLA driven company because we are federal, we are state, which, you know, to win any state federal contract, it, it's huge, you know, uh, they are aware of those requirements. It's just the nature yeah. of the job, you know. So this is interesting. You're, you're reminding me of some conversations I've had with other companies, not necessarily on the podcast, but in my day job, where one of the challenges that they have is, and this has been said by a few field service leaders that I've spoken with. They said, you know, the guys are actually pretty good about doing the job and doing the job on time. But sometimes when they don't track the work in time, it makes it look to the system as if we missed our timeframes. Exactly. And I, I think that's such an interesting perspective because here you've got, you know, uh, I'm going to say a guy in the field, a person in the field uh, who's who's doing this work and they may be doing the work on time. They may be serving the customer well, but the digital record of that work is ultimately going to matter maybe as much as it getting the job done on time. Because later when you're having that conversation about your performance and compliance with your SLAs, the record of that is not going to be, hey, you know, Joe is there on time. It's going to be what shows up in that ticket. How do you reconcile that between what I heard you saying before was just like common sense, practical advice to say, hey, if you're standing there and you can fix it, just get it fixed. But we've also got this like digital history that we need to create on all of this work. It is Does that cause a problem at some point where they did the work on time, but they didn't record it on time? And therefore, now it appears that you missed an SLA, even though the thing was actually fixed when it was supposed to be? Well, I mean, you raise a good point. It also goes back to what if you're in a dead area? You know, you got your cell phone and you got the app for yep. service now, whatever it is on here, and you have no cell phone coverage or, you know, you're in some place that doesn't allow you to have any kind of access. Which I, I imagine happens with your guys all the time. Or I'm, I'm in a wicked busy area, you know, say I, I'm the guy for that area and tickets are pouring in, but I'm working on some issue and I can't get out, you know? So, and that happens all the time. The minute I walk out, my phone blows up and I get like 20 tickets that come in and that happens all the time. Yep. Now you still have to go in and you got to backdate that ticket, back time that ticket. So, I mean, you're not fudging the data. Those are the realistic issues that you encounter when you have technology limitations still, you know, so you have to do that. Yeah. It's really interesting. So what do you, what advice would you give to others? There are a lot of people that are in leadership roles as you are in today, but maybe didn't come up through the ranks 
of actually being a field engineer. And there are also other folks that are in change management and IT roles who are implementing technology to organizations like yours. What advice would you give them about how to set things up for success with both the field engineer side of your business as well as the leadership side? What can we all be learning from your experiences there so we can do a better job? Uh, start small, you know, like easy. Uh, every company I've come into, everything's established, everything's complicated. Processes are very complicated. You know, like when I rebuilt parts of my house, you know, you rip it down and it's not like you're coming in with something fancy. You know, you have to rebuild the wall first, then you're going to layer in the pieces. You're going to wire it. You're going to add in the next steps and get to the end product. You know, and then here when you're getting into a company and they're getting a new CRM, they're getting a new ERP, you know, whatever the acronym is. They're trying to say, we got to get all the data. We got to get all the old data in, put it here. And it's like, but why, you know, like what, what's the reasoning here? Is there some HIPAA reason? Is there some SOX reason, some compliance reason we need this? Is it just because the, the CEO or somebody is saying that we need the data or we have to have it opinion, you know, and you never get the straight answers on it. And it's like, could we just cut that off, leave it over here, get a bare bones thing in here, set some good milestones, like, all right, here's the system, let's get tickets, get tickets open, get some generic easy reports going, start layering it on, and actually have a good project plan that says step one, step two. But instead, every project I've been in, they're just like, you know, open the floodgates. And it's like, I want to see reporting, I want to see portal i want to see the ferrari and all this like add-on so you can't focus on every little piece you know you get okay regardless of how many great consulting teams you have helping you how many experienced people you have that know this business you just you can't you can't do a good job with that you're just biting off too much at one time yeah i mean like you know even if i had like 30 people it's like that extreme home makeover building my house those things are a mess. They fall apart. You know, you just can't do it that fast. Yeah. It takes time. I, I, I love the idea about starting small. That's something that I've, I've witnessed also where organizations are trying to, to bite off quite a bit too much at one time. And I, I think one of the other things that comes up in that scenario is that when we think we're going to solve the problem holistically with a massive project all at one time, it, it bakes in the assumption that we know everything we're going to need now and in the future. And in most cases I've seen, as the implementation starts to happen, we begin to learn things about how this new technology is going to affect our business. And we learn things even maybe about ourselves and about the business processes that we thought we understood. But it turns out people in one state do things a little bit differently than people in another state. And the new system maybe doesn't offer flexibility to, you know, for us to do things differently, right? So we start to learn about the impact of those business technology, the business roles and the, and the technology at the same time. And when we've tried to make this, this big boil the ocean project all at one time, it becomes unwieldy, exactly as you said. Yeah. And um, So I, I love the idea about starting small and, and really growing into that and making it more of an evolution rather than just a, a big bang approach. I think the other thing I see a lot too, and you know, I, I try and apply this to myself is when I walk into the room, you know, I, I don't know anything, you know, like I may have experiences, 
you know, I may think I know everything, but that's not going to get you anywhere, you know, and you, you work in a company with somebody that has 20 years of experience in this industry. And yeah, they, they know a lot, but at the same time, they don't know anything either. And you're always fighting that with a lot of people that know this is the way we're doing it. I know what I'm doing. I've been here and it's like, well, we did that five years ago and it didn't work out so well, right. but you know, people just were people <laughs> Yeah, and people don't get that. And it's like, but wait a sec, hear me out here, you know, like, and, and I found that in a lot of companies and, and I was lucky that I worked in a bunch of startups and it was like five people, six people. And here I was, I was the service manager, the fix guy, the quality guy, like I was a bunch of things. So I didn't have to answer to anybody. It was like, no, this is how I'm going to do it. And I just did it. And then when it messed up, I was like, oops. And then I went and did something else. Right. Nobody yelled at me. I didn't have to answer to anybody. If it didn't work out, I could just like type up a service report in a word doc and give it to the customer. And it met the requirements, you know, whereas now, if things don't really work out, I've got program managers, I've got executives, I've got all these people that are saying, where's my report? And I'm like, sorry, you know, like, uh, but it's a big deal, you know? Right. One thing you didn't mention, and well, you, you mentioned this earlier, but not in the context of advice that you'd give to others. And I, I want to see if you would give this advice to others. You mentioned early doing ride-alongs with the engineers in the field. And that's something that I find to be very important. I've never been a field service technician. So the only way for me to get context is to go and spend a day in, in their shoes to the extent that I can, to go do a ride along, to go visit, to see the environmental conditions that they're working in and to understand a day in their life to the extent that I can gather in a day or two or a few hours in a day. Tell me about the value. You mentioned this earlier in their, our conversation today. What's the value that you get now in a leadership role doing ride-alongs with those guys? I think it just comes down to even the, you know, ride-alongs, one-on-ones I'm having with my new managers, uh, my existing managers, talking to field service techs that are, you know, subordinates two or three levels down. It's it's gaining the trust. It's seeing what they do, seeing that, I you know, I you know, pick up the screwdriver and they're like, whoa, you know, uh, I remember couple jobs ago when I, I put down a, even just a plug, you know, a replacement plug. And I was like, I put a timer down. I was like, here, here's a, a Leatherman. And I had a Leatherman. I was like, race me. And we were like racing. And I put the plug on in like 45 seconds. It took him like two and a half minutes. And I was like, I may be your manager, but you know, I can still, I can still tear this up. You know, this was my experiences in the past. So I, I want you to be clear in the knowledge that I know what you do. I want you to trust me in the fact that I know you're out here busting your butt every day. I, I know the systems that you use are difficult, but at the end of the day, the things that I'm doing, I'm not going to try and come back to you and give you unrealistic demands. There's, there's a reason for it. Like we talked about earlier. So like people knowing the things they have to do, have an end result like the the SLAs, the importance of the tickets being closed, you know, that all comes to a reason. And I think me gaining their trust, and me going out to dinner with these people, me doing ride-alongs, it's the the morale, the team gathering, the mentoring, which is huge now. A lot of people are focusing on that again. 
you know, especially after COVID, just yeah. getting face to face with your teams and, and getting off Zoom again and, and teams. And it's just it's a different level of leadership that I was a remote engineer for 10 years and I didn't have that. So when you have people working with you uh, in the combination, especially with your leadership, I think it helps build a different level of trust. You've mentioned trust a few times in the conversation. And I think that's so important. And I love, I love hearing you describe the relationship, you know, that you're developing with the people in the field. As you were describing that though, the, the other side of my mind was going to, okay, we've got dozens or hundreds or thousands of field engineers across an operation. How do we scale those types of, of interaction? How do we scale the knowledge? to here's our business process, here's what we're supposed to be doing with the technology, here's why we're supposed to be doing it. Have you discovered or implemented any best practices around how you can kind of combine the really intimate approach that you just described with the ride-alongs with also being able to communicate with an organization at greater scale? So yeah, you have I mean, that consistency. It's tough now because I, you know, I've progressed in what I'm doing now. I have more people, uh, now I work with, I have one peer that's over on the, the West side. And then we have a team of like hundred something people with some, you know, it's like six, 12 direct managers. So we're working collaboratively trying to figure out how to do this. And then we're learning our programs, learning our states, learning our, the way our teams do things. And then we're trying to start to do like some, some training sessions, some things on how we're going to lead and, how we want, not want, but how we're going to utilize them to work as a team to figure out, you know, break down the silos, all the terms you always hear. But right. I don't want people recreating processes. I don't want people doing things uh, like if you're going to do it and they're going to do it, let's figure out ways to do it together and let's do it as a team and let's figure out the right ways and use your experience as a leader to figure out how you can become a better leader, right? You know, yeah. and I have a lot of new leaders that are saying, well, I don't want to challenge you. And it's like, no, challenge me. Just do it in a way that's like, right. And these are the things we're going to learn together. So even in some of the one-on-ones, I'm like, we don't need to talk about work. Let's go pick an article on a business or something. Like even what we're talking about. Right. And let's just talk about it so we can figure out, you know, who you are as a leader or how you want to lead your guys. Because I don't want to get into your business unless you need me to help you or I need something out of it to report up. Right. And then we can figure out how to create this culture that you're talking about and what, you know, at least my little bubble right now I got, and then maybe just maybe I'm working my way up and then I'm a CEO or something, if that's my right. ultimate vision and then top down, you know, hopefully I've created that culture. You know, I don't know, you know, not like it's an Amazon or something, but, you look at something huge and it's like, how do you disseminate that culture down? You know, I, I don't know right now, my little bubble, I think we're doing pretty good, but as I grow, I just haven't gotten there yet. I, I hope the way I, I lead and the, the way I interact with people maybe lends itself to that in these experiences. But, you know, I, I think it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of like what we talked about before. It's just the, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of hands-on, yeah. Just pretty much what it is. You can't get away from the hands-on. That's the simple answer. I, I want to highlight something else you just said <clears throat> that I think is really important and we don't hear this enough is you, you talked about 
how um, each team or individual may have different ideas or ways of doing things. And, and you kind of alluded to this idea of bringing those ideas together to find out what are the best. I'm, I'm putting some words in your mouth because you described it a little bit differently, but I'd like to explore that a little bit further. Did I understand you correctly that you've uncovered situations where maybe different field engineers or different team leaders have been implementing things in a certain way and you're trying to get some standardization? That's what I, I felt like I was hearing from you. How yeah. have you fostered an environment to bring all of that together so that you can still kind of keep, I sense that you would want to keep the floor open to, to their creativity and be open to their ideas, but also not create a circumstance where a hundred people are doing things a hundred different ways. How do you bring some commonality to that? Uh, we recently started with what we did uh, in this company I'm in right now, where we're just getting people together. You know, it was just starting to get the groups to at least talk because we didn't have people talking. They were so busy in their jobs doing what they were doing. Step one here is just getting people in chats, in calls yeah. once a week, at least knowing who's who, what they got going on, visibility into what programs they're managing, what teams they're managing, and then how we operate and kind of like who you are, who I am, you know, just some of the basics. I mean, not saying we're, we figured anything out yet, but we're just trying to get some basics there. Once we get past that, I think that sort of sets the tone for some of the culture and yeah. then expand on that and just let people know, Hey, you know, he's got a lot of experience over there. Like when I get a call, I'm like, Hey, give, give Bob a call over there. Give Dwayne a call, give Jim a call, give Cindy a call, you know, like all these people, she's been working here for 20 years. I know she knows the answer to this. So I'm more of like a mediator at this point to the people that I know are incredible at what they do. And it's like, they, they say a, a good CEO isn't, they don't know everything. They hire all the people that know how to do it all. So, right. I mean, I should be really good at what I'm doing. I need to know all my products. I need to know all my people, but yeah, I, there's no way everybody knows everything. So that's Have what you, we're trying to fill the gaps in. With yeah, no, I, I love that. And especially kind of crowdsourcing information, right? Your example of Dwayne and Cindy, these these folks having decades of experience doing that, you're not the only place for answers. Their colleagues likely have been through this experience before. Have you found any tools, like are you using Teams chat as an example to facilitate that collaboration other than when you are able to bring everybody together? I know most of the time they're not together. What tools are you using to help facilitate more collaboration, if, if, if any? In the past, it's been everything. I mean, you know, that's always been the headache. How do you get it all centralized, especially when you're doing uh, products that are large IT scales? You know, like how do I get, uh, what's my workflow? What's my uh, my network design? What, what are my usernames and my passwords? Yeah. Who are the people involved? And, and just all that information and then where do I put it? You know, that, that was an issue for me 20 years ago when I was doing stuff and even now, but like teams, you know, it's not good. You know, like before we were looking at like NewsGator, dumping everything in Excel, hmm. uh, Jira, you know, everybody loves Jira and Confluence, but it's like, you just got to search the world on everything. Right now, when I was doing the, or not now, but before when I was doing cybersecurity, a lot of work going into knowledge bases and uh, everybody loves that, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, you know, knowledge bases are a great thing, but personally for me, 
if I have an issue with my service or something, you know, I don't want to have to go search a knowledge base to figure out why my mesh network isn't working. I want to pick up the phone. I want to call somebody and be like, error code 512. What log files do you need? Tell me what to fix. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm pretty good. Like I know how to fix this stuff. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want you to point me to a knowledge base for me to have to go hunting something down a lot of times. But as a, a director now, I know that that saves my company money or past right. couples that saves my company money. So there's a value to that. Help me understand the, the disadvantage as, as a field engineer and the knowledge base that that's not obvious to me. And I'm probably missing something there, but if the information's in the knowledge base, what is it about that process? That's not optimal today. Well, you have to create the knowledge base. So there has to be good data there, right? There has to be consistency in what happened. So Either it happened once and it's random, so it's just going to be buried in some article, and it's not going to be easily found with the wrong hashtags. It's going right. to be poorly written, you know, something like that. So, so poor indexing would hold yeah. hold that back from being a, a good, useful tool. Okay, keep going. Or, you know, I wrote a bunch of these when I was in uh, when I worked for a cyber company, and we went to uh, Salesforce, and we were writing a ton of these. And I had to get like four edits. They'd go and you'd, you'd be like, oh, I just solved this API issue or I, I just put in uh, this uh, SAML uh, single sign-on or something like that or, or whatever. You solved this uh, exploit into this Java file or something. And then you'd show like what happened. And then you'd have a great knowledge base with all the screenshots, everything. But that was 2016 so now it's like the next version the next version the next version the next version i could be updating that article like non-stop and now it's 2023 what i wrote is like four thousand articles ago and it's the amount of maintenance that goes into even keeping something up to date on the software side you know there's so much to it you know i wrote service manuals for that medical device company and i remember it was like i had just had my daughter and uh she was a little sick. I, I hadn't got any sleep. Just writing that manual, I was sitting there and I was like, this is brutal. And I had to do new versions of it like a bunch of times throughout the process. As, the as you're doing that, you know that uh, it's it's less fresh. By the time you finish the document, it's not as fresh as it needs to be. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know if like, what are the hits? What's the value? Like, I don't know the feedback necessarily. You know, I, I knew my customer base in the, the, what I was doing in the past and they wanted me to be like a, a holistic service engineer, like take care of me. Right. They didn't want to be digging. But a lot going. of that's changed. You know, a lot of people want to do their own digging now. A lot of people don't. So it's kind of hit or miss. You got to have a balance of both. Yeah. And so as I put myself back in the field engineer shoes now and say, well, when I have a question that I need to get answered and I'm thinking about, okay, I'm a resourceful person. I want to go get this answer. The knowledge base, I, I may go do a search on SAML and instead of just finding the one answer I need, I'm going to find a thousand answers and 950 of them are out of date and don't apply to me. It sounds like that's part of you know, the, the challenge. So we've created a lot of data in a knowledge base or other repositories, but now it, instead of it adding value for me, when I'm out in the field and I'm just trying to solve a problem, 
it actually creates an additional burden. So calling Cindy, my colleague, who's got 20 years experience and she may know the answer, I could just call Cindy and say, hey, Cindy, I'm dealing with this kind of machine, this type of software, it's on yeah. version 27 point B. And you know, how would you handle this? I think the challenge too you find is like you talked about the engineer looking internal, external facing. So external facing, you're gonna cover so much whether or not you've got, they can dig in deep admin stuff, customer facing like uh, user level stuff. But then as an engineer, you've got the high level admin stuff. You've got the installation side, you've got all the other things. And how big is your company? How detailed are you getting? How customized are you? How bespoke is your software? And then who's writing all that? So do you have a whole division of tech writers? Do you get products that are coming in written by engineers that are written so poorly by people that don't ever fix things that just build things. I mean, like you, if you get something that's written by somebody that just builds things as an engineer, you're like, Oh my God, they're not, they didn't write it to take it apart. They never took it apart. If you actually build it and then take it apart, put it back together, do that like five times, then write it. You're like, Oh yeah, I forgot to add that screw. So you got to keep doing it. And then it's like, now I start to think about the redesign process and this, and I'm like, yeah, now I should redesign that piece of software. That screw I'm using over here is stupid. The way we close this case is stupid. So you start looking at all the different aspects of your, your product process. You start engaging all the different aspects of your business, you know, but not necessarily they care, but at least you're thinking about different parts of your business. You the, the, the visual that I just had, as you were describing that, I, I don't know, how many people that listen to the podcast have ever changed their own spark plugs in their vehicle, but <clears throat> you made me realize that, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, a vehicle is designed in a particular way to be manufactured, but not to be serviced. Exactly. So if, if you've ever tried to change, you know, that, that spark plug that's by the firewall in your vehicle, you're like, how in the world did they ever imagine this was going to be changed? You know, I need a socket wrench with 12 pivot points in it in order to get to that one spot in the back but they didn't design it to be maintained. They designed yep. it to be manufactured and sold. And then it was like, hey, somebody else is gonna have to deal with that spark plug problem. And that person was me on several occasions. So it's really good. I So we're coming up at the end of the call. And um, I, I did have one other question and you actually just alluded to this. And it was kind of thinking about the difference between the internal and external. And I, I admit we tend to focus on a lot of the internal processes in both my day job and you know on the podcast here where we're really thinking about the implementation of technology and the support of technology and getting people to engage with the tech but i've been shifting our focus a little bit to thinking about the customer impact of that can you think of any examples where the team not using the technology right has a direct impact on customer i know we touched on this a little bit from slas but i want to put that to the side i'm not talking about the financial impact i'm really thinking more in terms of a customer experience that I show up on site as an engineer and I'm not doing something with my technology correctly. And that has some impact on my customer experience. Are there any cases that come to mind? Yeah. I mean, I always had a pet peeve in, in people getting into the systems and poor grammar, poor descriptions, you know, just maintenance, proper use of it. And somebody gets in on the receiving end in tier one, two, three, and they're putting in garbage data and then somebody's done some work and it just says like something arbitrary, you know, and that line of troubleshooting is there, that detail isn't there also for the knowledge base. 
you know, all the pieces that you need to build it out. Then the reporting isn't there that you could go back because, you know, we're trying to collect the data, make wise decisions, get the person on site, fix the issue. We're trying to build a knowledge base. We're trying to report on it. But if you really dug down into the ticket, short of looking at a few codes to make some decisions, there should be a lot of data there because when you go in and you're troubleshooting some DNS issue or something like that, that's really complicated, you know, there's probably a lot of things that you went through, a lot of services you restarted. Uh, you know, I, I flushed DNS. I, I went in, I, I looked at the ARP cache on this router. I did this, I did that, you know, I replaced the switch, you, you know, all of that really should be documented. And honestly, n nobody does that. You know, it's right. just to do it properly and maintain the workload you do you'd be sitting doing admin 24 hours a day on top of your job, you know, and I don't know a way to combat that. I was, I was really, you know, I don't know if I was great for doing it or I was just stupid because I was getting paid overtime to do it. But as I was working and I had four screens up connected to my customers, I was typing my tickets. So I was just, I had a good process. And what I would do is I would put all the stuff I had done and I had a lot of, templates created so i could just like copy and paste change i had some good quick ways around for myself that yeah i shouldn't have had to do it but i just was trying to make my job easier for myself over the years i, I think those are great examples I, and i i would love for more companies to try to systematize those ideas right that practice that you just talked about it's, it's one of the things that's driven me crazy about implementing technology where we go out in the field and we do ride-alongs with folks that are using the technology now and in a version of what you just said is they're either trying to remember all the things that they did on that job or they're taking handwritten notes and then later they have this admin burden that they have to go back and enter that stuff in the system and i think as technology implementers we need to do a better job of understanding that process and saying how can we put the technology in their hands that makes it actually easier for them to document the work as they're doing it rather than create a circumstance where the technology is such a burden that it's a pain in their ass to do it the right way. And so they don't do it the right way. And then we're trying to make up for those gaps later on, either in filling in gaps in the data or, you know, relying on their memory for all the steps that they took in that troubleshooting process that you just described, you know? And so that's, that's on us that we have to give them tech that makes it easier. I also think you're bringing some real world perspective to that though, too, which is, you know, they've been on site for four days with three hours of sleep. They're trying to get this job done. And we've got to find mm -hmm. that balance between there being a, an overload of admin and data collection versus just getting the work done. Well, I think the last point, you know, as we're wrapping up and maybe a good theme for this is it, it's about ride alongs. It's about, you know, focusing on the fact that you really got to, to, to see what somebody else is dealing with. And I think my, my brother said it best. He was a, He's a cop for 20 years, a state police officer, and it just blew my mind what he dealt with on a day to day basis and what was going through, you know, every traffic stop or every issue. And I said, how do you deal with that person that's just screaming at you? And then the next stop screaming at you, and the next stop, because you stop them for doing 90 miles an hour. And this next person is high on meth or something. And you're just and it's just crazy. And he said, you know, I don't know what this person's going through, you know, like. I could have gotten fired. Somebody could have died in their family. Like I'm having a terrible day too, but this is my job, you know? So I got to sit here and take it. So 
it's just that perspective that I try and look at with the ride along and a lot of things I deal with in life. I'm not doing it perfect, but I'd say with the ride along, how does that tech dealing with this on like the worst day? And we never see that. You just hear about it. You yeah. get a call at seven in the morning. You're rushing to that call. The tire goes flat. You're trying to get that dealt with. Another call's coming in. Your kid's sick at school. You can't get them picked up. You're rushing to the next call. Four other calls come in. You're just sitting there. You're having a slight panic attack. You know, you haven't eaten yet. Your blood sugar is low. Like it's all piling on and you're like, oh my God. And then you're like, I haven't done any admin work. My policies are due now. It's like the world's crumbling. That's over. That as a manager, if you could do that right along that day and see what that person out in East wherever is dealing with, that would open up your eyes to the whole world of how bad that really is to use that system, you know? I, I can't think of a better way to to wrap up this conversation. And I, I really enjoy your perspective and, and and just appreciate so much that you've had the opportunity to sit on um, you know, so many different sides, you know, to to bring so many different views to this conversation. And I do think as as you've pointed out, that the best advice that we can give to anybody that's implementing technology or supporting the men and women in the field with, you know, technology on the front lines is to get out there. Go and do a ride along. I call them field trips. Go take a field trip. Go see the environment that they're working in and, and the crises that they're dealing with. And then bring that perspective back to the conference room when we're doing the planning to say, what is idealistic versus what is realistic for us to actually be able to expect from them? And how can we do a better job collectively as teams to, to support them? And I think uh, a lot of that comes from that ride along view that you can get. Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. All right. Well, Carl, thank you so much. Okay. Let's wrap it up there. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. I'd like to thank our guest, Carl, again, and thank you, our listeners, for your continued engagement with the podcast. With that in mind, we welcome your ideas for future themes or topics we can discuss in the show. Please feel free to leave a comment on the Frontline Innovators LinkedIn page with any thoughts that you have. And a reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the only end-to-end -end systems training platform optimized for frontline operations. You can learn more about how you can solve your frontline systems training challenges by visiting skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you again on our next show.